0: From your mighty hand, your presence, Lord, we thank you for the precious Holy Spirit who is the teacher. He is the one who would bring understanding, enlightenment. We invite the light into our lives, into our midst. We ask you to come into our souls and become fixed, become rooted. We thank you for eyes to be open, for ears to be open, Father. We thank you for good soil. Lord, we just declare that we would lift you up to the highest place today in everything that is said. Thank you for the utmost integrity, Father of word and truth, this morning. Bring glory unto yourself through what we do today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, praise God. I tell you what, we've already had church. And uh, we're going to move into the word just a little bit. I have three pages of notes instead of five like I had last week. And uh, I'm not going to apologize, I'm a teacher, and teachers expect about 45 minutes of your time. And I know people look at me and go, can you not shorten it, brother? Well, yeah, sometimes I can shorten it, but you go down here and pay thousands of dollars to sit for 45 minutes and learn about things that really don't matter. <laughs> so I think we can come in here, you know, and for free receive the word of God, Hallelujah that is able to save our souls. Praise the Lord. And you don't have to pay a dime except invest a little seat time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, sister. We're going to talk about our identity this morning. And I just want to set up a little bit. Last week I had to kind of get into things pretty quick, but I want to talk just a little bit about identity. What is the big deal about identity I mean, that's the series that we're on. We're venturing in identity for the next several weeks. And, you know, when you think about what identity is, you know, is it the image that you see in the mirror every day? Is that identity? Is it the name by which you're called? Is that your identity? Or the education that you obtain? Is it the house, the car, the clothes, the food or material that you possess? Is that the identity That you associate with? Is it the career or the job that you find yourself doing? Is that your identity? Is it the talents and abilities that you may have? Is that your identity? Everybody, listen closely. Is it the balance of your attributes and faults? Is that identity? Do you have a net balance to the black or to the red in that? Is that your identity? You know, I don't think a single person in here would argue the serious impact that self-image carries in a person's life. Would everyone agree with that? I mean, that's why we have psychologists and that whole discipline, because a lot of what they do is to deal with the image you have about yourself. A lot of the problems and things that you face in life have to do with a distorted image. Of yourself. You know, I could take a perfect person and I could subject them to an environment of abuse physically. I could subject them to an environment of abuse mentally, psychologically. I could take that perfect little child and I could distort him forever for the rest of his life outside of the grace of God. Because why? Because of what I have established for identity for that kid. Amen? And there are those in this room this morning, right now, that are still dealing, even after 70 years, with identity issues because of that kind of thing. You were abused by your father. You were mentally beat down. You were given a false and distorted identity through that process. So I have to ask this morning, what's your identity? What is it that you identify with? Is it anything in that previous list that we just talked about? And so I would say this morning, how do you prove your identity? If a police officer came in this morning and there is a questioning for some formal procedure, he would ask for, guess what? Identification. What is your proof of identification this morning? You know, so we're conducting this series on identity and and we started with the word of God. Cornell did so aptly and that's such a huge thing to talk about and he did it in you know, less than 45 minutes. Did a great job on it. But the thing is, why did we start with the word? The reason why is very simply this. Listen, it's the mirror. It's the mirror. It's the mirror, everyone. Listen to what James one twenty one says. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. We talked about this last week. The salvation of your soul. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 23, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. Notice the analogy here. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. Everybody say perseveres. It's not enough, folks, to hear it one time. It's not enough to put a focus on getting in the Word one time or getting a single verse on something, you know, and spending one hour in that, and that be your only experience. It's not enough. You notice here it's about hearing and what? Doing. But we see that it's all tied to the analogy of a person looking in the mirror. The one who looks intently, in the perfect law of freedom. Why is he saying look intently? Because he's talking about a man looking in the mirror. And what is the mirror, folks, for us? It's the word of God. Looking intently into the perfect law. That's the word of God. And perseveres in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works. This person will be blessed in all he does. Hallelujah. We're talking about identity. And I just told you what the mirror is. When you lose the perspective of your identity, go to the mirror, folks. Go to the mirror. So guess what? We're going to talk. We talked last week about our identity and salvation. We're going to talk this morning about our identity and righteousness. Our identity and righteousness. I have to really control myself. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. It is. And I hear a brother laughing back there because I think he probably shares the same passion. I love to talk about righteousness. Because it's one of the first revelations, true revelations, that the word worked out in my life, the word and the spirit, that absolutely set me on a course for victorious living and an ability to mature in God. It's absolutely true. We're going to talk about that. So let's just talk. set a little bit up here about righteousness, you know. I want you to consider Matthew 6.33 and listen to what it says. This is a scripture often, often quoted by many people, and we, we get a lot of really good understanding, I think, to some degree of what this scripture is saying, but I think we've forgotten a part of it, or we look over a part of it. Listen to what it says. But seek first, and this is Jesus' words. It's red letter in my Bible and yours. Jesus' words saying, but seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. What? But yet, it, it does say what? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. How many of us skip over his righteousness? Oh, come on now. I don't know how many times I've heard that verse quoted, and you hear kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Folks, we're leaving out an equal component of what we're to seek first. Not just the kingdom of God. It's the righteousness of God too. And we're talking, you need to go back and read the context of where Jesus is talking about here. He had just talked about all the things that without God and and any focus on God and dependency on God, you will try to produce of your own accord. The materiality of your need for existence Clothing and and food and shelter and all the things that it seems like that we are always, you know, in a rush to try to obtain from a natural perspective. But in fact, Jesus is laying out that that is not the focus and the essence of who. That is not your identity. Your identity should not be found in the pursuit of materiality. Your identity should be found in the pursuit of these two things, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Hallelujah. So we're told to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Many miss that last part, but you got to realize it's equal in the directive that Jesus brings there. It's equal. So what's the deal? Well, I'm going to tell you the deal this morning. Hallelujah. The case for our true identity. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about identity. And in this lesson we're going to talk about our identity and righteousness so the case for our identity i'm going to present the case like an attorney would present it to a degree here So, let's lay out a case have you ever stopped to think i want everyone to pay very close attention have you ever stopped to consider that god made us of his own desire did you know that no one made god make you He, no one came up to God and said, you know, it's, or even the Godhead themselves look at each other and say, it's about time where you finally make something different. Because we made all this other stuff, so we made to make something different. You've got to add to the scripture to say that. There's nothing in the scripture that says that. He made us of his own will and desire. Stop and think about that. He wasn't forced to do it. That goes for every single person in this room. Every single person. We're created in his image. Genesis one twenty six through 27 will lay the foundation for that. He said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. I don't know about you, but that's not a creator that just flippantly decided to, to, to make something called man. Because I don't know about you, but when a creator is going to make something after his likeness, he's going to put a little bit more into it, I think. Huh? I mean, doesn't it stand to reason? We don't have to use uh, spirituality there. Let's just use good old common oaky sense. If I'm doing something that represents me, like that carrot cake in there that I brought today, guess what? It's game on. I ain't going to go down to this store and buy Duncan Hines mix because I don't want to represent Duncan Hines. I want to represent Greg Clarkson and his ability to input something of his essence into my creation. Oh, it's funny, but it's serious too, brothers and sisters. Because I'm talking about something that will bring revelation with respect to who your creator is and the nature from which you have been created. You've been created from a divine destiny and for a divine purpose. Hallelujah. And God didn't go to Duncan Hines and say, give me the ingredients. He come up of his own accord, of his own creative power, and he grabbed up a handful of it, folks. And he touched his lips to that lump. And he breathed in the essence of what makes him who he is. Oh, my goodness. I could just stop right there and just melt down. Oh, man, help us, Holy Spirit, get just a little understanding of that. So we're created in his image. And you know what? Genesis 131 says that God was pleased with the result. He didn't come up to the end of it on the sixth day, brother, and say, well, there's a and most of it looks good, but there's a couple things that were a little bit fallen short of. He said, he looked at all he created and said, it's good. And I don't know about you, but when, when, when the Father says it's good, I, I, don't, I don't have an understanding or a, an ability to come in and make a judgment otherwise. Because guess what? I'm a part of that. It's good. Hallelujah. I don't exist outside the context of it's good. And that's what I'm trying to deliver to you under this power of the Holy Ghost this morning that God was pleased with the result when he made you. Man is the pinnacle of his creative effort. Psalm 8, 4 through 6, listen to what this says. This is David. What is man that you remember him? The son of man that you look after him. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. So here David is, and he doesn't even have the Holy Ghost inside of him, but yet at the same time, he's brought to a place of awe to realize just a little inkling of the importance of who he is as a created person, the importance of man. There was a plan to restore man, and guess what? That plan existed before the need for it. I'm laying out like an attorney would evidence with respect ...to the case for your true identity. The plan to restore us, folks, was there before we ever needed it. I don't know about you, but that tells me something. That tells me that his care and his concern and his love for us... ...goes a little bit deeper than just a response to circumstance. That's right, brother. That's right. It goes beyond a response to circumstance. Because he had a divine plan... He, folks, nothing took God by surprise in this deal. Nothing. If it didn't take him by surprise, then let me give you a revelation this morning. It's not going to take, nothing happened to you is going to take him by surprise. Does that bring comfort this morning? Hallelujah. Listen to what 1 Peter 1.18 says. It says, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish, he was, everybody listen, he was chosen before the foundation of the world. He was chosen to be that sacrificial lamb before the foundation of the world. I don't know about you, but what that means to me is, is before there was a context for man to even have a garden created and him to be put in and him to have the opportunity to mess it all up and then need this plan, it was already chosen how the how the plan was going to be, what the plan was, and who was going to execute it to bring to restore man back, to restore him back. Ladies, when I say man, it's gender neutral. He was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of times for you. Ephesians two 2.10, listen to what this says. For we are his creation. We've been talking about that. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, folks. Everybody say good works. Hallelujah. You're created for good works. And listen to what it says. Which God prepared in advance he prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them right here is the case that it was already planned your destiny even in spite of your failures was already planned it was already planned it was already schemed that god sees the end before the beginning he knows where your potential is headed if you'll make the right choices but guess what? If you don't make the right choices, you, that potential is still there before you. It is. Hallelujah. Praise God for 1 John 1, 9, in the blood of Jesus. So what does biblical righteousness really mean? So I laid out a case for our true identity. What does biblical righteousness really mean? In a word, position. Everybody say that. Position. In a word, our true biblical righteousness really means that. You can sum it up in one word, position. Righteousness is really our position in and with God. It's where a man originally was with God before the fall. It's right standing with God. It's our position with him. That's what Vine says, the, expository, the author of the expository dictionary. He says it's right standing with God. Position with him. And when you look at the original language from which the Bible was written, particularly in the New Testament, when you see the word righteousness, it came from a word that means simply equity. Equity or equality. Now, when you stop and think the righteousness of God means equality, that'll start blowing your mind. That'll start blowing your mind. But then I have to submit to you, it, you know, what is it? Exhibit H now that we're on, maybe, with regard to your true identity. And it's called the blood of Christ, which is his very life that was spent for you. And if it was spent, then it purchased something of equal value. Hallelujah. You darn right, that ought to make somebody dance this morning. Because what you do is is you stop and you ponder that for just a little bit. And I got to tell you what, it'll bully up your soul. You stop and think to yourself, I'm equal to the value of Jesus. Folks, I didn't say it. The word of God, the mirror showed it to me. We can see this exemplified in the story of the prodigal son. And I want you to go over there. A lot of times I quote scripture and don't have you turn for essence of time. But I want you to go there. I want your eyes to, to fall on this with mine this morning. The anointing is very powerful right now. Hallelujah. Just stay hooked up and we're going to go somewhere. Luke fifteen, eleven through 24, we see chronicled the story or the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. Is everybody there? I'm in the Holman Christian standard. I'm sorry, but that um, that may be a little bit outside the box for some people, but I love it. It's a new translation that I am just, I can't get off of it. Not perfect, but it's pretty darn good. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, everybody say a long way off. Hallelujah. Has anybody been a long way off? I tell you what, I can hear that organ playing in my mind right now. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. Help me, Lord. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast because the son of mine who was dead, is alive again, and he was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. I'm sorry, but man, I tell you what, there is so much in there. I got to keep myself on task here. Help me, Holy Spirit. I want you to notice the first thing that was done here. What was the father's response? He brought the best robe to him. Isn't that, wasn't that his first order? But even before that, what was his response? He ran, embraced, and kissed him all over. And it says the father ran to him. That's right, brother. He ran to that son and kissed him. We're going to see some things I don't think we've seen before in this by the Holy Spirit. So what was the first thing that he did in order to restore that son? He didn't feed him a meal. He he didn't give him the ring first or the shoes first. What did he give him first? He gave him a cloak and he didn't say just any cloak. He said what? The best, the best cloth, the best robe. Did you know that clothing signifies position? It signifies position. When you see clothing on certain people, when I see a police officer, his clothing signifies the authority that he carries on behalf of who he works. Right? When I see... Someone in the military or armed forces personnel in uniform, that signifies who they work for. That signifies who, what team they're a part of. Tells me a lot about their identity. Clothing. And what is it that the father again gave him first? Clothing. He gave him the best robe and it was brought and placed on him. Clothing signifies position. You think about the Hebrew priests. They wore certain clothes to perform their duties in. And not everybody wore those clothes. And in fact, if you wore those clothes, you would die. You could come under judgment to be dead if you tried to work in the clothing that they were supposed to wear because there was an anointing on it. There was an anointing carried with that. It represents position. That's what it represents. And you don't have the priestly position except by anointing. And God's choosing. Priests and kings also are signified. Kings are signified by their clothing. So what was the son's concern, though, upon seeing the father? We see the father's concern. He comes and kisses him and cries and hugs and just loves on him and then tells to go get the clothes. But what was the son's position? What did the son do? Where was he at in this when he came up to him? Come on, somebody. He was focused on the sin. He was focused on the fact that he had messed up. And what is he asking? He's focused on forgiveness. I need forgiveness, Lord. Forgive me because I screwed up. But did you see the Father respond in like kind and concern for forgiveness? There's nothing in that scripture that talks about it. Nothing. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Yet religion will be so focused on the fact, on penance for sin. Don't get me wrong now, folks. I'm not preaching something outside the gospel here. I'm just saying that we don't want to get focused on the sin because the father's not focused on the sin. He's focused on relationship. He's focused on restoring relationship and restoring the object of his love. And so he kisses him and he tells him, go get the, and yet the son is focused on that. On the sin, forgive me, Father. It's interesting that we don't see the Father focused on sin or even forgiveness. He's focused on expressing love and restoring his position. You know, in a model here in this, I think also with respect to biblical righteousness, forgiveness is like take. I'm not saying you don't need forgiveness. Don't everybody go out of here now and say, I'm preaching an alternate gospel. Oh, my goodness. Forgiveness is like taking a bath. Righteousness is like putting on new clothes. I don't know about you, but I don't really like going and taking a bath and getting clean and then putting on my old nasty work clothes again. That doesn't make sense. But yet that's exactly where most of the Christians end up when they go back to their home in the process in their relationship with God. They get cleaned. They get cleansed. In fact, Jesus told Peter, "You don't have when someone's had a bath, Peter. They don't have a need to get a bath. They just need to the part of them that touches the world needs to be washed again. It's their feet." And he, and so he's we've had a bath if we've experienced the salvation experience that we talked about last week. Hallelujah! We've had the bath, the washing, but yet we got to put on some new clothes. And I submit to you that those clothes are righteousness. Hallelujah. They're righteousness. So, what happens through righteousness? Let's talk a little bit about that. I skipped a, skipped a, a scripture here Romans 13 14. Listen to what this says. Paul says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It says to put him on. I don't know about you, but that's like a set of clothes. I'm putting on Christ. Hallelujah and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. man that is a wonderful scripture to meditate on about what we just talked about, about clothing, signifying position and righteousness, putting on Christ. What, who, what's our clothes? Who is our clothing? Christ. What happens through righteousness now? We are identified with Christ. That's the first thing that happens. It's the great exchange, if you will. Second Corinthians 5.21 that many are familiar with. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's the great exchange. His righteousness and right standing. He stripped himself of that by taking upon himself our clothes. So that we can put his clothes on. Y'all see that? That's what that second Corinthians 521 is talking about. He took our clothes. So we could wear his clothes. Hallelujah. The best robe. The best robe. Hallelujah. Our new nature is really our identification in him. Second Corinthians 517. We talked about this last week. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and look. Look, New things have come. Hallelujah. That's also that new, that new uh, um, position that we have in him, our new nature. That's also part of that identification. You know, and the foundation of the victorious Christian life is really the knowledge of your position in God. If you don't have that knowledge and you don't walk in that knowledge, you're not going to walk in a successful Christian life. Righteousness is your position. Righteousness is really your identity in God. It's your image. We're looking into the mirror, folks. We're looking into the word and we're seeing our identity. We're seeing our image in righteousness. So to fully realize our position in God is to be able... So why is this important? What happens with this righteousness Well, by realizing it and walking in it, you're able to approach God at all times in full assurance with freedom and confidence. I'm going to say that again. To fully realize our position in God is to approach him at all times in freedom, full assurance and confidence. This is what Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says. Matter of fact, I'm just going to say... The last verse sixteen says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. There's nothing there, folks, that says for us to approach in a groveling, mealy worm mentality. It says to come boldly to the throne. Hallelujah. And when you look at 1 John 3, we see even this taken even further in verses 21 through 22. Folks, I'm delivering, I'm putting the mirror up before us this morning. Hallelujah. It says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. I don't know about you, but when I read this scripture, I can't read anything else into it but the fact that God wants us to be confident before him. If he didn't, then why would he, under the notion of the Holy Ghost, bring this out through the Apostle John? Listen to what it says. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Why is that important? Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commands and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. You want to know how important it is to have confidence? It's as important as your ability to have answered prayer. It's important as your ability to pray effectively. And the only way you can do that is if you look into the mirror and you know who you are in Christ. And you know you can come boldly and have confidence before him. Not because of anything that you are of your own self, but because you put on the clothes, folks. And his name is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You're justified in him. And when father sees you, he sees Jesus. When the father sees you come up before him to pray, he sees Jesus. When the father sees you in your time of need, when he sees you in a place that you can't hardly bear up under it, he sees Jesus in the garden. He sees Jesus up on the mountainside when he withdrew himself from the people in order to get recharged spiritually. Why? How can I say that? Because the other two verses that I skipped over in that Hebrews talks about, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. It talks about a high priest that we have that endured all temptation yet was without sin. So are you saying brother Greg that Jesus had impure thoughts about women come through his mind? I'm saying without an ab- for an absolute fact that yes. Well it doesn't say that in the word. Oh, oh. Well wait a minute. It says he was tempted in every way. It says he was tempted in every way but was without sin. That's the difference. He didn't fall into the sin. So he, otherwise Jesus can't identify with me, brothers. Oh, come on now. He can't identify with me and it ain't fair. It ain't fair if Jesus didn't have that. Brothers, if he didn't have that temptation, it ain't fair. I don't know if everybody's hearing me this morning. Ignorance of our righteousness, our position with God, it results in inferiority. And it leads to groveling and it leads to begging. Are you this morning in a position of begging, of groveling before God? I submit to you, you don't have confidence and it's probably because you don't understand who you really are. It doesn't, it's because you haven't looked in the mirror and seen who you are in Christ. Of course, you know, that type of position is not a position of faith, and it's actually displeasing to God. It says the just shall live by faith. We're commanded to live by faith. So we're displeasing to not be in a position of faith. To come confidently and boldly is to come in in faith in the word of God, that though you don't feel this way, yet the truth is and remains, you are in Christ. Hallelujah. Righteous before him. And have the ability to come boldly. So our ability to walk in the power of the kingdom of God in this life, it also depends on our walking in the righteousness of God. So we're talking about what happens through righteousness, folks. Your ability to walk in the things of the kingdom that Jesus said in 633, seek first the kingdom, your ability to walk in that kingdom and the power thereof here in this life is we're not going to need it when we get to heaven. We're talking about the kingdom of God being established here and you walking in that. Your ability to do that, folks. There's a reason why he put righteousness with the kingdom is because you have to know who you are. You have to know who you are in him. Depends on you walking in righteousness. Romans 5.17, one of my favorite scriptures. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive an abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign. Everybody say reign. And that's not R-A-I-N. That's R-E-I-N. R-E-I-G-N. Reign. Maybe it is in Noble County for somebody that doesn't. How much more of those that have received that gift of righteousness will reign. Folks, I don't know about you, but reigning doesn't apply to anybody except kings. People in authority. Reign in this life through one, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There's our identity with him, our master. Righteousness, it's the critical. So we're laying out the, the effects of righteousness in us. Why is it important to understand our identity and righteousness? The next one is because really righteousness is a critical piece of your armor. Have you ever stopped to consider that? In fact, I think it's the number two in the list. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does the breastplate cover? What's the big deal about the heart? Oh, as you know, I—I mean, it took an organic PhD in organic chemistry to bring that answer. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's right. You die. When the heart stops, you're dead. When the heart stops, you're dead. And I got to tell you on every level, soul, spirit, body. When the heart stops, you're dead. You needed that. That's a critical area to protect. Amen. It's a critical piece of armor that protects the distributor of life. That's what the heart is. It distributes life. Ephesians six fourteen. stand firm. Then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. How important is righteousness? It's as important as your heart being protected. It's important as your ability to have a protection for your heart. Accepting and understanding our righteousness, folks, is critical to our ability to mature also in the things of God. We're talking about what righteousness brings in our life now. We're talking about looking in the mirror and seeing who we are in Christ and what it brings in our lives Here's the sixth thing we're talking about accepting and understanding that righteousness is a critical, it's critical in your ability to mature in the things of God. I didn't say this. Let's go see what brother Paul says about it in Hebrews chapter five, verse 12. Listen to what it says. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Well, I tell you what, if he's talking to someone saying you ought to be teachers, they probably had a lot of word given to them. They got, they've had a lot of opportunity to get a lot of knowledge. He's saying, brothers and sisters, by though this time you ought to be teachers, yet you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. He's admonishing him these folks here. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. How important is righteousness? If you don't understand it, how can you expect to be skilled in any other aspect of the word of God? And that's what he's telling the folks. Though you ought to be teachers, you can't get to a place in maturity of your knowledge and the things of God because you haven't settled the foundational issue yet. And that's who your relationship, what you are in positionally in relationship to God. Hallelujah. Listen to what it says. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I submit to you that to be unskilled in the word of righteousness means to be ignorant or inexperienced. By practicing or becoming experienced with righteousness, one will mature or come of age, being able to handle substantive spiritual food and in doing so you're able to completely separate good from evil to rightly divide the truth how important is righteousness it's as important as your ability to grow spiritually and understand anything else about the principles of god do you want to drink milk the rest of your life i mean i like some milk don't get me wrong i like it with my with my chocolate chip cookies And carrot cake, brother. You better darn well believe it. I like a lot of the products that milk produces. Love it. Love it. But I ain't going to be drinking milk all the rest of my life. As my only source of nutrition. You can't do that spiritually either and expect to mature. And you need to be understand who you are in Christ for you to be able to go forward. How do we obtain righteousness? Got three minutes left. Here's here's here it is. How do we obtain it? It comes by faith to all who believe. How about that? I've got some scriptural verses to give you. Romans three twenty two, Philippians three nine. You write them down. Go look them up. It'll it'll bear out what I just said. It comes by faith to all, not to some, not to ninety five percent. Everyone who will believe. It is a gift. It is a gift. Upon salvation, Romans 5, 16, I already talked, or 17, I already talked about those, about this. Those that received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. It is a gift. How about Romans 9 and 10 that all of us can quote so well. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Praise God for that. But let's not forget what verse 10 says. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. I love that translation. My goodness, that's good because it shows both of them coming at the same time and how you receive it. They're both equally received as a gift because that's what they are. Salvation's a gift. Righteousness is a gift. And guess what? The ability to receive those gifts is called the grace of God. That's a gift too. There's nothing that you're going to be able to boast about in terms of what you've been able to produce in the kingdom of God because it's all a gift, hallelujah. And that's what the Ephesians talks about. It says, lest any man should boast. Nuh-uh. It ain't going to be any glory to man. It's all going to be holy, 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 holy. Thank you, God, for your mercies. Your mercies endure forever. So with this in mind, really, there's no need to spend a lot of time on how to receive it. I spend a lot of time on, on what it means. I spend a lot of time on what it brings to your life. But we don't need to spend a lot of time on how to receive it because guess what? It's a gift. It's a gift that's received upon salvation. And how do you get a gift? You receive it, brothers and sisters. You receive it. However, here's the issue. You must submit to it. So you can get a gift, but you can choose not to unwrap it and have it appropriated in your life. You have to submit to it. Listen to Romans 10.3 says, and and I'm almost done. Because they disregarded the righteousness from God. Listen to this, folks. This is Paul talking to the church in Romans. Because they disregarded the righteousness from God. What are we talking about? The righteousness from God, our identity, our position in him. And because these folks he's talking about, because they disregarded that, what happened? They attempted to establish their own. That is the very definition of religion. I don't need to give any more flowery speech or words about how to define religion. You want me to define it for you? When you disregard what God has given as a gift and seek to establish your own. That's the definition of religion. And it's dead. Every bit of it is dead and it will lead you to death. Because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. This is Romans 10, 3. They have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. We're talking about the need that it's a gift, but you have to submit to it. There's the reason why. And that's the result. If you don't, you'll seek to establish your own. All of these things that result from righteousness will be of no consequence. We talked about, I laid the case out for things that can result from from righteousness, but they're going to be of no consequence if you choose not to accept and walk from your true position in God. They're going to be of no consequence. And if you don't walk in the righteousness of God, it'll go even higher in terms of the, the negative effect. You will risk establishing your own through works. You risk establishing your own righteousness, your own right standing by by the works of your of your ability, uh, through merit. And con- what's going to happen with that, Greg? Well, let me tell you, condemnation will rule, and you'll fall into a merit based relationship with God. And I got to submit to you that that's the stale crust of religion, because it has a little bit of substance to it. It might even have a little bit of flavor, but let me tell you what: it's death in the end, folks. It does not bring the life and the satisfaction. It does not bring the full freedom that you have been called to. Paul said to the Galatian church, I believe it was, it is for freedom that you've set us free. Not to be enslaved again unto the taskmastering whip of religion. Now that's the Greg version, but that's basically what it says. Amen, brother? Is that right? Would you stand with me this morning? Look at that. It's 12 o'clock noon. I can't believe that. Hallelujah. Oh, Father. Father, we do exalt you right now. And we just declare that we choose to say that Jesus' work was more than enough, Father. We choose to acknowledge that the only way we'll be found justified is through his precious sacrifice. Is by accepting that. And Father God, sometimes because we move and shake and respond to circumstances in the soul, oh God, so often and so much of our lives, we choose now, Lord God, to pick up the clothes that we've thrown back down on the ground. Oh God, sometimes we come out of those clothes by an act of our own will and, and not submitting to it, to your righteousness, oh God, but right now, oh God, we choose to get in the garment this morning and that is the garment of our lord and savior with whom and in whom we are identified hallelujah fully justified standing in complete ability father god and blameless before you because father you look and you see jesus when you look at us in fact we're seated with him even now positionally hallelujah at your right hand in authority. Thank you, Father, for this precious word. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just multiply revelation unto the one who is hungry, unto the one who wants to walk, Lord God, in the full identity. That, Lord God, you would turn that mirror, Lord God, fully unto them that when they see, they behold who they really are. And, Father, we know the mirror's always turned to us. We just have to get in front of it. Hallelujah. And we just give the glory and the honor and the praise unto Jesus, our precious Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.